Welcome to our Daily Inspiration Podcast. As Inspire Church is walking through a 30-day rule of life, whether you are participating fully or just listening, we hope you are blessed. Hey, Inspire Church. My name is Lita, and I'm a friend of Phil's. It's a privilege and honor to share with you today about lifestyle evangelism, sharing the gospel to people at work and in everyday life. Well, a little bit about myself. I grew up in East San Jose and then Fremont, been married for 14 years, and we've been foster parents and now have a two-year-old little monster running around the house. God bless you parents right now, especially in COVID times. Uh, After undergrad, worked in a startup, then went back to school for my Master's of Divinity, and after grad school, served in a black church for just under five years, then a white church for three years. Funny stories about that if you want to know someday. And now planting for the past three years, Restore 22, here in Fremont, California, just south of you guys in Union City. Well, um, before we get into the how of lifestyle evangelism, love to share with you a little bit about why. Why should you care? Why should you care about lifestyle evangelism? You got your own problems, COVID-19, racial injustice, political device, uh, political divisiveness, your own health and family and career, relational problems. Why does this matter to you? Well, if you're a believer, believe it or not, this is one of the primary ways to be with God. It's evangelism. Because God is not just at Crown Plaza on Sundays. He's actually in your neighbor's house. He's actually doing work in the mission field. He's bringing restoration and hope and redemption in the gym. You get to be with God. Why does this matter? Because you get to be with God. The American church has now turned into a cruise ship where we gather together, kind of are comfortable, lounge by the pool, drop off the kids and the kid-specific ministry stuff. And we just have this consumer mentality. Everything is really about us and our customer wants. And if this church doesn't meet my needs and I'm not being fed by Pastor Phil, then I'm going to go to another church. But biblically... We're not supposed to be a cruise ship. We're called to be an aircraft carrier where we gather to look at the fighter pilot handbook and to check under the hood and to encourage each other and get refueled and then to fly back into the mission field, into our mission. So why should you care, believer, Christian? You should care because God is in the mission field and he's inviting you to join him in it. I pastored for eight years before church planting. It's easy to be insulated by Christians and the church. But God isn't just in this fast-paced, scheduled program, event, teaching prep, and meetings of life. He's in the spontaneous, slow-moving interactions and distractions and interruptions of life. The agnostic coffee barista, your Muslim gym attendee, or Buddhist next-door neighbor. And I find that when I'm faithful to my calling to the lost, the calling Jesus has given to every believer, 
that I find that I get to be near the one who calls. I work at my garage now um, when it's not too cold. I, the past few years since pandemic, I've opened the garage and just set up a little table and chair for the intent of meeting people that walk by and getting to know my neighbors a little bit more, offering prayer when it's appropriate, inviting over for a meal when appropriate. And there's a lot of rejection. A lot of people just want to get on their merry way. But every now and then somebody stops and we talk and I get to build a friendship with someone. Throughout these uh, past couple years, got to um, pray for mothers with their for their children. One son is in rehab. Another son was lost tra- tragically. Uh, pray for U- USPS Muslim driver who was going through financial strain. Um, the one mom that I prayed for lives on my block. You might have heard she lost her 12-year-old son in the waves of Half Moon Bay. And I was out there and praying for her, sharing with her, hey, God is weeping with you. God sees you. God knows your pain. He actually lost a son too. And with each interaction I have with these people that are far from God, I get to see God's movement and heart. I get to see what God is doing in their lives. And I get to meet God afresh every time. I had two members in our church that recently helped an Afghan refugee family. You might still remember the upheaval and the Taliban takeover. Seema and her three kids were living in Yuna City, actually your city. And we helped them move out of a garage they're staying in, freezing cold garage out into an apartment complex. Pay down their first and last month's rent. And it's one of our church members that told me afterwards, this is where he felt God present the most. The the ground is really tough, real talk. The ground is really tough. Church planting has been extraordinarily hard, especially when we're focusing on the lost. You know, um, pre-pandemic, I'd spend a lot of time at the gym. I'd do gym Bible studies with businessmen that I befriended on the basketball court or lifting weights. And... I had a hundred, hundred um, people that I knew. I could, I had their names, their address, email addresses. I could tell you stories about their children, their families, and careers, and invited them to, to a relationship with our faith community. And about a dozen have come through either a Bible study or a church gathering. And now one has stuck through the years. He leads one of our small groups now. And um, look at that number, a hundred to one, right? It's not really good high ratio there. Uh, before pandemic, I was at the bar. I would just play music, play drums uh, with with uh, the band. And then after, come off stage and buy somebody a drink and get to know their story and invite them to church or a party we're having at a house, you know, or a Warriors watch game. And out of the 10 people I invited and got to befriend musicians on the stage or people um, on the ground, nine people said no, and one person came to church, and he's been with us since for the past couple of years. Brought his wife, she brought her friend, and uh, we had block parties. Uh, 50 people come to our block parties. We had maybe one or two come to church from that. None of them stuck around and uh, taught music and uh, had about 20, I'd say 20 families that I was teaching at the time, kind of off and on. 
and a few of them have come visit the church and now one of them is um, still with us. So you can see just by the numbers, um, the ground is very tough. You know, at the gym, invited 100 people, one person is now still with us. Um, at the bar, invited 10 people, one person came. And music block parties, you know, 50 people came to our front yard. None of them come to church. Numbers are tough. The results are tough. Um, even in pandemic, as I work out of my garage, I've gotten to know 30 neighbors. I can tell you their names, their kids, their careers, their stories, some hardships they're going through. And uh, about five of them now have come to church. One of them are still off and on with our church. The ground is tough. Why should you care if it's so tough, especially when the ground is so tough? Well, the truth is in the rejection that you experience, you get to share in Christ's rejection and pain. Every time someone says no to me, no thank you to me, I feel a little bit of a wince of pain. It's, 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 it's sharp a little bit. But I remind myself, hey, I get to share in Christ's rejection and pain. A lot of us churchgoers like to talk big game about, yeah, I like the gospel. I, I, nothing but the blood. It's all about Jesus. But it's not until we start to feel the pain that Jesus went through in people rejecting him, people walking away from him, people saying, you're crazy. Why would I listen to what you're saying? Then we really get to feel what Jesus was feeling and, and walk as Jesus walked. I remember being in a spiritual direction, direction session and um, I was really frustrated. I, I was church planting year two, maybe one and a half. And I was like, you know, I'm inviting all these people, spending all this time with the lost. But so, so few are coming to church. So few people, so many no, so much rejection. And God gave me this image of a father fishing with his son. And the son, after a full day of fishing, caught nothing and an empty pail and was pouting. Hey, I don't didn't catch any fish. Why well, didn't catch any fish? And the dad looked down at the son with these loving, endearing eyes, said, I didn't bring you out here just to fish. I brought you out here to spend time with you. And that's what God does. He invites us in the evangelistic mission, on the mission field of lifestyle evangelism, to be with him, even in the rejection. Even in the pain. In Acts 8, there's a story of Philip being successful in his ministry in Samaria, then Jerusalem. But he was then called to one eunuch in the desert, in the middle of nowhere, nowhere Podunk, Arkansas. I don't know if that's a real place. You can Google it and find out. I'm just making words up. Philip could have stayed in the successful ministry of Jerusalem, but he decided to go because that's where God was. In the middle of nowhere, in that little desert where that one eunuch was. So I want to encourage you um, with the why of lifestyle evangelism. It matters to you because if you want to see God again, God isn't just in the your beautiful, awesome praise band and awesome sermon that Pastor Phil delivers. He's in your neighbors that are far from he's doing a work in your co-workers he's doing a new thing in your family and friends that are far from him and he's inviting you not just to your calling in life to make disciples to but just to be with the one who calls and and in in that 
in being with God, you also get to grow in God. In being with God in evangelistic fervor and labor, you get to grow. Your character, your person gets to grow. You see, I don't obey God to get a desired outcome. Like a five-year-old would obey his mom and sit quietly in a restaurant to get ice cream at the end. You don't obey God to get what you don't have. You obey God to become the person you currently are not. I thought, I obey God. I take this risk, leave my job, fundraise, share the gospel, equip my team and church plant, and I get what I want. A church, like Inspire. But what happened was, I obeyed God, left my job, put everything on the line, then boom, pandemic. <laughs> but it was exactly because I didn't get what I wanted on the outside. I grew on the inside. In reality, I obey God not to get something external that I didn't have before, but to become someone internally that I wasn't before. As John Ortberg says, in life you have many doors you can choose to go through, but life is actually more about the person you're becoming as you choose that door, not just the door you choose. You obey to mature into the person God already sees you as in Christ. You obey the evangelistic calling on your life to make disciples. You partner in this lifestyle evangelism of sharing the gospel so that you would become the person God already sees you as in Christ. You would become dependent, generous, loving, prayerful, playful, missional as you experience the fullness of life that God desires for you. You see, through a ton of wrestling with God and therapy, working through my own anxiety, my wife's support, my team's patience, and struggling through doubt, insecurities, and failure, and my own idolatry, I'm becoming a different person in this process. I get to grow like I've never grown before. You do lifestyle evangelism, not because you will hoard tons of people to conversion and you do it because yes he will use the seeds you plant in his time and his way but he will grow you in the process you become a different you in the process of living in a lifestyle of evangelism i was invited to speak at a church in the south this church of seven thousand a few years ago and i was sitting in the car with the senior pastor before preaching. And he said, in all honesty, how are you with the scale of this um, speaking here? Are you okay? And I was feeling holy at that time. And I was, you know, pastor, I serve an audience of one. And <laughs> it's funny because there was someone else in that car. It was God because he heard what I said. And he made me eat those words for the next three years, the past three years of church planting. Because I've literally preached to an audience of one sometimes <laughs> at the park we meet or at the house. You know, I, I work through so many my own anxiety and challenges as I church planted and spent time in evangelism. And I found that in this whole process, God is shaping my heart. To be more reliant on Jesus, like I've never had to rely on him before. To trust in his provision for my life. To loosen my addiction to control. To loosen my addiction to image and approval. 
And he's causing me to be more present with the very people he's placed right in front of me. You see, maturity doesn't happen when you wake up and say, I want to mature. It doesn't happen when you say, I want to learn something. And you join a Bible study or a class or I'm sure one of your awesome coffee and theology nights that I've heard so many good things about. Maturity doesn't just happen when you go to church or a part of a connect group or open your Bible and read it. See, maturity happens and you're forced to mature when you are missional. Because when you're missional and when you're talking to somebody that's far from God and you're pleading with God to do something supernatural, you have to grow You have to mature. You have to rely on God for something that only God could do in that person's life. So you humble yourself. You get on your knees before God. Say, God, I'm about to have my Hindu neighbor over for lunch. The only way something's going to happen here is if you do it. Or you, you mature in the mission field by inviting your family that you usually don't have over because you can't stand them or maybe they've done some wrong against you and you you have to forgive them in that case you have to grow in forgiveness and love and grace family maturity doesn't just happen when you decide to want to learn something maturity happens when you're missional because it's when you're missional when you have a lifestyle of evangelism and you're with those that are far from God, the byproduct of that is maturity. You have to rely on God. You have to pray more. You have to humble yourself. And you have to go back to the Bible to answer questions that they ask, questions that you didn't know how to answer before. God is with you in your lifestyle evangelism. That's why it matters. You get to see Him move in ways you've never seen before. But you also get to grow in ways you've never grown before. A lot of us think life is going to start for us when I get my next promotion or next weekend getaway or new relationship. But family, the truth is life is right here. Instead of constantly posturing and comparing, instead of being resentful and discontent, being present with God in prayer and scripture, the neighbors God has put on your street and family, that's life. Life is right here. Having my Russian neighbors over for lunch and hearing how he survived during the Soviet Union collapse or getting to share the gospel for my Hindu neighbors that have heard it for the first time. It's happened a couple different times now. On my front yard, life is right here with my non-Christian brother and his girlfriend as they navigate being stay-at-home millennials in crazy in this crazy housing market. And life is here, sitting on my garage, sitting in my garage with the door open as neighbors walk by and opening my heart and my time to them. Now, why should you care? You care because you get to be with God. You get to grow in God. And of course, I understand you have so much responsibility You have bills to pay, mouths to feed. You can't just sit around waiting for people to walk by and talk to. Now, I don't do that because I'm working on my laptop. But there's 
things you can do differently I'm going to talk about soon now as we transition into the how because not all of you will have the same intensity and frequency that I will be able to have engaging the loss. So how does it look like maybe for you? I'll give you this acronym is BLESS and I encourage you to bless Union City, bless the Bay. And this is an acronym with B-L-E-S and I'll go through this rather quickly. B is begin with prayer. This lifestyle evangelism stuff does not happen on your own power. It happens because you've asked God to do something that you cannot do. We do supernatural work, and supernatural work only can be accomplished by supernatural means. Francis Chan asked the question, what would you do if you had to raise the dead? If you were brought to a cemetery and tasked to raise the dead, would you hire a great speaker? Would you hire a great band? Would you get the best lighting? Would you get the best platform? Would you make sure the coffee is set up and the donuts and the bagels are set up? No, you would get on your knees and pray. And that's what we're doing here. Lifestyle evangelism is engaging in supernatural work. That only happens when you are living in a lifestyle of supernatural means, prayer. So my wife and I, we do prayer walks around our neighborhood. And I regularly pray for my neighbors by name as I walk by their house. So the first B of how to do evangelism in BLESS is begin with prayer. L is listen well. In the 80s and 90s, people were indifferent. They're indifferent to, they were indifferent to Christianity. Now they're hostile. So you got to do some PR work for God before the invitation. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Listen carefully means we're initiating questions with sensitive curiosity. And when we listen well, we are restoring God's image as a God who genuinely cares about people's personal lives. Questions about their family, their career, aspirations, where they come from, how they're doing in COVID. And personally, and I want to give this to you, once I've built a little rapport, my favorite question to ask is, have you been a part of any faith community in the past? That opens up a whole world of conversation. You know, when Francis Schaeffer was asked how he would spend an hour with a non-Christian, he said, I would listen for 55 minutes and in the last five minutes I would have something to say. I'm reminded of uh, an Uber drive that I took to the airport one time where there was a 45-minute drive and he admitted in the very beginning he didn't believe in God after he found out I was a pastor. And we just had this spiritual conversation. I just asked a bunch of questions. We even got to some dicey areas of life and uh, position paper stuff. And at the end, he dropped me off and said, this was so refreshing. I can't ever talk about God this way without having become... um, having it full of animosity. The underlying concept of listening well is to join what God is already doing in that person's life instead of starting it. Don't start stuff. You join what God's already doing. You don't fabricate or force things upon people. You join what God's already doing in their lives. An example of that is a couple of months ago, um, I teach music or I teach guitar uh, one-on-one. Every now and then I'll offer a free lesson just to meet people and then invite them to a spiritual conversation if they're open. 99% of the time they're not. And so that's cool. Keep it moving. Like Jesus said, you preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, proclaim the kingdom, then dust your hands if they're not receiving of it. But this one person in particular, she um, started talking, um, not about spirituality, but she was singing a song but she wanted me to show, uh, I asked her to show me what, what she knew about the guitar. And she started singing a song she wrote about 
she started singing a song she wrote and then I asked her what the song was about. She shared it was about some depression and um, I didn't feel like it was appropriate in that time or space to get into it. But later on, after she left, I texted her and I said, hey, you, you mentioned that song about depression. I'm a pastor and I just love to pray. So if there's anything I can pray for, please let me know. And she then like opened up and she's like, wow, I was just praying last week. God, show me how to have faith. I don't know how to have faith. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not part of, I've never been to church and so I, I roped in my wife so we can have accountability. And so we started talking to her and, and she came to church the next Sunday and she asked a question, literally said, how do I have a relationship with Jesus? And now we have a person in our church that's doing a Bible study with her. The ess- One of the essences of, of this lifestyle evangelism is realizing it's a spiritual Easter egg hunt. We are out here just looking for Easter eggs, looking for treasure, just spiritual treasure hunt of people that are ready for the gospel, that are ready to grow, that want the faith. And then we're joining what God is already doing in their hearts. We're not forcing it. We're not, not fabricating it. So um, how do we um, live in this lifestyle of evangelism? We bless. B, begin with prayer. L, we listen well. E, we eat together. Jesus ate so much, he was accused in Luke 7, 34 of being a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus ate his way through Israel. And so you eat with the people you're trying to engage. You invite them over for a meal. Now, I understand there's Omicron around. The variant's pretty bad. So I understand if you're just comfortable maybe dropping off cookies, dropping off some brownies, and um, just saying, hey, I'm your neighbor. Just wanted to let you know I'm here. And if there's anything I, I can do for you to help support you in this tough time, here's my contact information. If you're comfortable, you can invite them over for an outdoor meal. And finally, S is share your story. After you've prayed, listened, and fed them, you share your story. Share God's story. Share what you're learning about God. Share how your church is serving the neighborhood. Share how you see God moving in your life. Boldly speak up. Psalm 96.3 says, Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. I was with my neighbor um, a little while ago, and I intentionally hang out in our front yard, not our backyard, because I want to meet people that are taking walks, meet my community. Maybe you don't have a yard. Maybe you have a hallway when you open your front door. So maybe it's a common area in your complex. But I'm in the front yard, and he walks over, and I ask him about faith, and um, we start talking. He starts sharing about, you know, I like Buddhism. Even though he grew up in a Catholic church, he's like, ah, I like Buddhism. I'm looking into this reincarnation thing. I like the idea of, 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 of living for the next life and, and getting something better. And I shared with him, and, and I, was, I was feeling, you know, God was leading me to be bold with sharing at this time. Hey, you know, that, that sounds great, but at the same time, it sounds exhausting. And, and it just sounds tiring to always be working and striving for that better life that's coming up ahead. And if you slip and you take a week, a month, a year off, you feel anxious. And that's why I like Christianity. I like Jesus because Christianity is not about a way of life. It's actually about something that's already been done. It's something that's already been done on my behalf, which is Jesus taking my sins and my shortcoming on the cross and dying on my behalf and then coming back to life in three days and promises me if I just believe in what he did on my behalf, then he would give me eternal life. That starts now. And I, I'm given that. I'm given that 
perfect life that he lived. God loves me not because of my history, not because of my track record, but because of Jesus' history and Jesus' track record. And after saying something like that, to that effect, my neighbor paused and he looked at me and said, you know, I've never thought about it that way. Family, I, I share these stories with you because I just want to encourage you. There's people out there in your own neighborhood that you work with, maybe over Zoom, maybe it's a family or a friend. And all of these people that you know, it's, it's, these, it's an invitation for you to be with God in a unique way, to see Him move in their lives. And in doing so, you get to grow in the process. And yes, you will face rejection. But every now and then, God will allow you to see something miraculous. And every moment of it, and every, every opportunity through it all, you will grow nearer to God, more dependent on God, uh, more bold in your faith and your witness. And finally, I got permission from your leadership to invite anybody um, near the Fremont area who may be looking for a unique growth experience in church planning to be a part of um, Restore 22 to come check us out. So you can find us on the website, www.restore22.church. Well, it's been a pleasure. It's been a privilege and a joy to be with you today. Thank you, Pastor Phil and your leadership and staff for your faithfulness in the Bay Area. I love your church, and I look to you guys with admiration and love. And I pray for you that every step you take in lifestyle evangelism, that God takes 10 steps closer to you, even in rejection. Because in the process and the act of it, you will draw nearer to God. You will grow in God. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you are inspired as we journey together to reorient our lives in life-giving practices as demonstrated in God's Word. 